Wow. They even make announcements around here exciting. <laughs> and I can't wait to see the greatest of all series of all time for the 15th time. No, but uh, <laughs> now I'm dyslexic, so I know I've got some challenges, but anyway, sorry. But uh, what a beautiful service. And men and women, let me just say, those of you that wore the cloth of our country, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, because of you, we get to do everything we do. We could even act like children in America. We can even still be counting ballots in America. I'm from Florida. You're welcome. Uh, but in all seriousness, the men and women who've done the noble and the hard thing uh, in this day and age of takers makes us even more and more grateful for you. I love being at this place. There's a freedom here. There's an excitement here. There's a liberty here. And I also love it because uh, you're allowed to talk real straight here. Something about folks in Kansas and something about folks at New Spring that uh, you, you kind of have a low tolerance for those that are jiving and and uh, not telling it the way it's supposed to be. So I'm gonna do my best today. If you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 24 and 25, I know you've been in this remarkable series, you uh, times two, what happens when we lay our gift on the altar, what God is able to do with that, how he takes a little, how we can be faithful over a few things and, and God will give us opportunities to be faithful over many things. Something happens when the Lord starts multiplying in our life. Now, I didn't get off to a good start when it comes to faithfulness. My message is entitled, Unto Him. Unto Him and unto them. If I'm a child of faith, if I'm a child of God, if Jesus is my Lord and Savior, I have a responsibility. My family should be better because I'm in my family. My team should be better. If you're in a squadron or a battalion or a brigade, you're on a team or in a locker room or in a department or a division, whatever it is we do, it should be better because we're there. And the Bible just teaches that he takes us and then he multiplies it, he doubles it. And I want you to know, God's got such an incredible plan. Most of us settle when it's the Lord's intent that we soar. Eagles never settle for a sparrow's nest. Eagles wanna soar, eagles want their lives to count. And so there's this yin and yang, if you will. God, the faithful, invisible, all-powerful, creator became flesh and bone and moved into the neighborhood. We call that the nativity. We call that Christmas. The invisible God became visible. The mighty God, the eternal God, the creator became a baby and grew up, moved into the neighborhood, lived his life and died for us and shed his blood for us was buried for us, rose again to show us the way. 
So we've got the message of the Bible. And if you've got a pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, crayon, anything that'll write, I'm gonna ask you to write down one of the major themes of the Bible is the faithfulness of God. The word faith, depending on what version of the Bible you're using, the word faith appears hundreds and hundreds of times. You know, the word faith means that which is certain, that which is a sure foundation, that which you can count on. And it's not so much that what we have is that, but it is the object of what we put our faith in that gives us the sure foundation, the certainty, the sureness, the reality. You can count on it. The faithfulness of God is one of the major themes of the Bible. And yet the all-powerful God, all he asks for us is to be faithful back to him. So we're to take our simple faith, put it in this faithful God who keeps every promise. You know, the scripture tells us, Jesus promised, God promised, if you come unto him, I will in no wise cast you out. God promised that if we would be in Christ, not near Christ, not close to Christ, not salute him, not tip our hat, but we would put our faith in Christ that we would become new creations. Old things would pass away, all things become new. So the whole object of the, and the theme of the Bible is this faithful God. You know, we live on this little planet. It's a small little planet. It's called the blue marble. All the other planets are gray and lifeless. Now there's a few out there, but they're multicolored, but it's not because of life, it's because they're gas, and the gases are burning. But we're the blue marble because we're covered with water. It, whether it's rainwater, ditch water, you can have snow that melts and put it under an electronic microscope and you're gonna find forms of life. Ditch water, rainwater, snow that melts, there's life. This little planet, one degree closer to the sun, we're a Pop-Tart, it's near lunchtime, right? Can you tell? One degree further from the sun, we're a Popsicle. The invisible God has hung our, our privileged little planet on nothing. We're the blue marble. And yet this faithful God holds us here. The perfect location for there to be life. And he wants to walk with you and talk with you and be with you. And yet when we look around, at our own lives and the lives of others, we see so much pain and so much turmoil and so much anger and so much hate, so much disillusionment. We're drowning in alcohol, we're swallowing more pills, we get high, we escape, we run away, we break our promises, we, we do almost anything to try to ease this pain and yet there is this perfect world God created as far as the opportunity for us to have life and more abundantly, we know there's a life to come, so it all boils down to this. Do you believe God is faithful and will keep his promise to you? And all he asks of you is that we do our best to be faithful, and because of what he's done for us and in us and through us, that we make things a little better for those around us. So unto him, and then under the people that we have a responsibility to be living for a faithful God in a faithful way. 
I think our family and friends need to know they can count on us. Now I wanna be real straight with you. I came late to the party. I was 17 before I heard John 3.16. And I'd been through six broken homes by the 10th grade. And then I was in about that many foster homes and it really, it was even before the foster system started, it would be kind of the, but the government would sometimes find somebody in the city, maybe it'd be a family friend or even a family member. But I went through five stepdads and my dad left when I was six and then different people would have me in their home for a while, but it didn't last very long. So I grew up feeling like a, a piece of luggage. I didn't have a father, I didn't have a family, I didn't have a future. And then, not only with the anger and all, but when my dad left, my mom on the rebound was with several different guys. There was a song years ago, trying to find love in all the wrong places, and no one wants to be alone, and and my mom made some careless choices by her own admission. And so not only was my older brother given away because she couldn't provide for both of us, uh, but uh, the different men that were in and out of our lives would bring stepchildren and other people into our home. So I was physically abused as a kid. I was sexually abused as a kid. And then I became very angry and began to get in a lot of trouble and began to act out. And that's when I began to be in a lot of different situations. Add to that, I began to uh, drink a great deal. My father was an alcoholic. My mom drank socially. All the men in her life were alcoholics. Uh, one of my sets of grandparents were alcoholics. And, you know, I just kind of felt like probably I'm supposed to be an alcoholic. So I started drinking at the age of 12 and started getting high. And by the time I was a teenager, got addicted to methamphetamine, a meth crystal, and dropped out of school. And, and, you know, the problem was I was called stupid and dumb. And it wasn't until I was in college that they tested me and found out I was very, very dyslexic. I think one of the reasons I got involved with alcohol and drugs is I didn't want everybody to think I was stupid. So I just wanted them to think I was too cool for school I'd rather party, I was in the drug scene, I didn't care. But the truth of the matter was, I did care, I wanted to learn and I was embarrassed. And after a while, when you're told you're dumb and stupid, you begin to what? <laughs> begin to believe it. I'd lived up to those high expectations. And I don't wanna brag, but I was all state in making dumb choices. <laughs> I was gifted, what can I say? All right. So here I am, this kid physically abused, sexually abused, uh, really had a sense of abandonment, desperate to fit in, not doing well at school, not knowing why. I had a hard time focusing, and it was also while in college. They tested me and found out I was A-D-D-D-D-D-D-D, and I think they added a few for effect. I didn't bother anybody, I just sat there and ate paste, but no, but anyway, no, sorry. But, uh, so anyway, as a young guy, by the time I was 17, hair to my waist, track marks up and down my arms, uh, I had a defining moment. Every life has defining moments. Every life has certain things that cause certain things. And there have been several moments in my life when I've become aware, and I'm grateful because I lived 17 years without having a clue about this. But one night at the age of 17, after the death of a very close friend, and please remember young people and young couples and men and women, the scene looks so good. 
Liquor, liquor industry spends billions of dollars making alcohol look real good. You watch those beer commercials, man, the sun is setting on the beach and everybody's in a bikini and it's the most beautiful women and the best looking guys. And if it's in a bar, there's waterfalls and palm trees. And then you go into a real bar, hello. Looks like the original Star Wars, you know, folks from other planets. <laughs> or there's about seven teeth in the whole room. But anyway, so <laughs> it's not quite what it is on the beer commercials, all right? But uh, so here I am. I'd lost another friend because the scene looks so good, but it cuts like a knife. And if we'll just party, if we'll just date, if we'll just be around, if we'll just do this, we'll find love, we'll find happiness. Somehow it'll all work, but yet it cuts like a knife, doesn't it? So at the age of 17, like I said, track marks everywhere, I went and heard a message that absolutely changed my life, transformed my life. Now obviously because we're in a church, it must have something to do with church, so here we go, you know how it is. But anyway, at the age of 17, I heard for the first time in my life, John 3.16, that God so loved me, the kid that nobody wanted, the kid nobody had any room for, the kid that was always by himself, the kid that was desperate for attention, and all of a sudden I find out the all-powerful creator God said that he loved me so much that he sent his son to die for me. Now I was 17, I'd never heard it. I began to hear teenagers talk about Jesus like he was real, like you could reach out and touch him. I began to hear men and women kind of share about the difference he had made in their life and the things he had forgiven and the things they had overcome and the things that he made pass away. And I was intrigued to think there might be another life besides the one that I, that was the only life I'd ever seen. It's the only life I'd ever known. When I was 17, I had a defining moment. I heard a message that was too good to be true, that God would love someone like me. Why would he? I mean, nobody else really seemed to, and I, can I be honest with you? <laughs> and I don't blame him. I look back over my life and the way I acted, and I not only would act out towards them, I did things to destroy myself. I became the Jesse James of my own life. Started robbing myself and hurting others. So sometimes when we talk about, well, I'm a sinner and people did this to me and did that to me, I gotta be honest with you, sometimes when I think about my sins, I think about some of the things I said. I can remember, I can tell you things people said to me that still sting and still hurt. But sometimes we forget about all the things we say, right? Reacting or out of pain or out of anger. And we do the same thing. So simply put, that night I heard a message too good to be true, but I found out it's true. Here's the message, you ready? If God be for me, who could be against me? If God the creator goes, I love you, I will in no wise cast you out. If you come unto me, and by the way, bring all your jive and bring all your mess and bring all your pain and just lay it right here. I used to say, pastor, that at churches, we ought to have sky caps and porters out front because everybody that comes in, we bring a lot of baggage with us. 
And that's what happens in marriage. We bring all this baggage into our marriage. We bring all this baggage into that relationship. We bring all the pain, all the junk. We bring all that stuff with us. So maybe you feel like you need a sky cap sometime. But Jesus says, all right, now look, bring all your pain, bring it all. We're gonna leave all the baggage here. And I want you to take one, I want you to take one more step. And I want you to come here. And I want you to know it was too good to be true, but it was true. Because I found out he's not just savior who died on the cross 2000 years ago and was buried and rose again. But I found out in 1970, ancient history, November of my senior year in high school, that I heard this message was too good to be true, but it's been true for over 46 years. And as a young junkie, I stood and I asked him to step out of heaven and step into my heart. I flushed the drugs, I flushed the booze, all the rats were high in the sewer for months after that. And, uh, and I said, the best I know how, I wanna be clean and I wanna live a new life. He came into my life. And I found out not only was it too good to be true, but it's true. I found out it's too good to keep to yourself. You gotta share it. Now you might have a big mouth like I do, and so it's kind of easy to talk because we talk even when we got nothing to say, right? Or maybe you're an introvert or quiet or shy, but in your own way, in your own style, you can't help but want to share about the greatest thing that ever happens to you. So please don't ever be annoyed if a Christian's talking to you about the Lord and sometimes we could probably do it better and sometimes we may be overzealous or we, whatever, but just know you want those you care the most about to know what changes your life. I always would say, if I could take Jesus out of my heart and put him in your heart for five seconds, you would know what it's like to know him and you would want him. If you could just experience the peace and joy for five seconds, because that's how real he is. So I would just say, come on in, the water's great. But I was 17 and I received this new life. But something happened that night also. I became overwhelmed by the faithfulness of God, but I began to worry, how do I live up to this? I've been forgiven, I've been clean. And by the way, he not only saved me and I felt good that night, I had a warm feeling, I sensed his presence, people encouraged me, people were excited, people loved on me, and I went home that night feeling great, but I flushed all the drugs and I had to go through withdrawal. See, quitting's easy, I quit 100 times. I'm, I'm pretty good at quitting. It's just staying quit, right? So I had this, how am I gonna live up to this? God's given me this brand new clean life, how do I keep it from getting dirty again? I never finished anything I started. Now, obviously, finding out later why it was hard for me, but I never finished a book because I could hardly read because of all the letters being scrambled in my brain. Uh, I never kept my promise. So now, all of a sudden, I, I feel great. I've asked you, how do I live up to this? So I became overwhelmed by God's faithfulness to me that he loved me, and he came and he saved me. But can I be honest with you? I found out going through withdrawal He's not just savior, he's deliverer, he's the rescuer, he's the great physician, and he did for me what I'd never been able to do before. And it's been 
over 46 years since I've had a bottle pill or cheap thrill, since I've gotten high. God changes, God transforms. And I want you to know I would have never believed it. So number one, I was, how can I live up to this clean life without messing it up? And because I had a big mouth and I started talking to people about Jesus, I started getting opportunities and people would say, come speak to my friends or come over here, I'm having a party. Would you come and share what happened to you? And would you come talk to our, some students over here? And, and so pretty soon at the age of 19, just two years of this new life, I got invited to speak in a church. It had 17 members. I spoke for five minutes. I told them everything I knew and made up stuff. I mean, you know, I, I was new at all this. But they asked me to come back in a few weeks. Took them a couple weeks to recover, but they asked me to come back and a few weeks later, they asked me to come back again and I ended up pastoring there almost two years. And then God began to open doors for me. And so now I had the call of God on my life. And I was overwhelmed by the faithfulness of God, what all he was doing in my life but I also was worried, how do I make sure I'm not one of those that messes up? How do I finish the race? How do I fight the fight? How do I do the two plus, you know, the U plus two, right? How do you do all that? Of course, I'm dyslexic, so I'm worried about, did I, is it U plus two or two plus U? I mean, you know, so when you're dyslexic, sometimes you just get so discouraged, you wanna throw yourself behind the bus. <laughs> So, no, I'm sorry. All right, but anyway, you'll get that later, I promise. All right, during halftime of the ball game. But, uh, so, but I want you to know, I was overwhelmed that I, by God's faithfulness, but I was overwhelmed by my desire to want to be faithful back to him. And then I met this beautiful Italian girl. And she was radiant, and she loved Jesus. And she was from a big Italian family. Mama me, that's the only thing I can tell you, it's crazy. I mean, you know, you've never been around. I mean, I mean, you could put my family in a shoebox. Her parents were married about over 50 years. My family, if you were married four years and six days, the Guinness Book of World Records showed up. <laughs> Ripley's, believe it or not, did a TV show. I mean, you know, so I'm all of a sudden now meeting this beautiful young girl who's met Jesus, who loves the scriptures, and... God put us together, and for some reason, and I didn't want to argue with her, because I was afraid she'd come to her senses and go, forget this stuff, but, and we've been married now for almost 45 years, and the Lord's just, it's amazing. But I had a fear. Hear me, men, I had this fear. How do I stay faithful? How do I, I've made a vow before God, I made a vow before her, I made a vow to her parents, and, 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 and here's this gift from God. How do I, how do I the, the kid who never followed through, how can I live up to this? And I just want you to know there have been several moments in my life when I've been overwhelmed by God's faithfulness. I can't believe how powerful and loving he is, but there have also been several moments where in my heart and spirit I went, oh dear God, how can I make sure I'm faithful back. I don't want to ever let her down. And then we, I held my first child and we'd almost lost her several times in the pregnancy. And she was two months old and the doctor said she had to have open heart surgery. I said, her heart's the size of a quarter. 
what can you do? He said, we gotta fix the hole. I said, well, you better fix it because when Jesus comes in, I don't want him leaving. I mean, you know, the real good theology, I know. But anyway, he, the doctor didn't ask what I meant by that. He just went, okay. And uh, so, but I held my little girl and it was obvious she was gonna have to have what turned out some nine surgeries and go through some tough times. Can I be honest with you? She needed a dad. Not somebody that's gonna bail. Not somebody that's gonna cheat. Not somebody that's gonna take the easy way out. How can I make sure I don't let her down? So I had this daughter that had some overwhelming needs and I was given another little girl that was just this eagle, this incredible gift. And, and, and so through my life, I've kind of had to wrestle with the faithfulness of God, what a gift, but yet the desire for me somehow, some way to be faithful. You know, you've spent the last several weeks in a great series and you've studied the parables in Matthew 24 and 25. Let me just remind you of a couple of those. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken to. Therefore, you should also be ready because the Son of Man, that's a title for Jesus, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you expect not. So be faithful. Jesus could come at any moment. And then also in Matthew, we're taught that when God gives you something, you're to take that and try to multiply the influence and help build up the, the Father's kingdom don't just keep it for yourself. Don't blow it, don't squander it, don't bury it. And the Bible says, as you know, you went through this series, that he that's faithful in small things, in a few things, God will give you a chance to be faithful over what? Many things. And then there's that great passage. So Matthew 24 and 25, I've lived in for these over 40 years, trying to make sure that my life and my ministry is faithful. But then I think about the last words of Paul in 2 Timothy chapter four. The most dynamic Christian to ever live is in prison. He's about to be decapitated. They, they throw him in a hole in the ground. That's what the Mamertine dungeon was, a, an abandoned cistern, a well, and they put bars on it and they threw him in there and he waited in there to die. It became a small little prison. And there was Paul in his last hours, his last days. And what did Paul say about faithfulness? He talked about that his life should be poured out as a drink offering. He said, the time of my departure is at hand. He said, but I fought the good fight. I've run the race and I've what? I've kept the faith. So there's this great series in the New Testament. They're called the three doxologies. In Romans chapter 16, it says, unto him who is able to keep you from falling. He's able to keep you balanced. And it is a picture of one of those Roman statues. You've seen them, right? But there's a lot of earthquakes there in Rome. There was a lot of revolts, a lot of tension, a lot of riots, a lot of chaos. And it wasn't uncommon for somebody to push one of those statues over. And you maybe have seen it in a movie where the statue would fall over and it would be in three or four pieces on the ground. Well, that was common in Rome, the statues to be pushed off 
So what is it the, the apostle Paul wrote under the inspiration of God? Unto him who's able to keep you balanced so that no one's gonna be able to push you over, that no one's gonna be able to cause your life to be in pieces on the ground. And then in the book of Jude, there's only one chapter of Jude. In Jude verse 24, it says, unto him who's not only able to keep you from being pushed off, unto him who's able to keep you from falling on your own because of a misstep that you have done. He will keep us faithful. And then Ephesians 3.20, you've heard it, unto him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything you could ever dare ask or think. He can do that, he can do more than that, he can do far more than that, it says. So here is this great series in the New Testament, three times, unto him who is so faithful to us. But yet we know the message, the theme of the Bible, but there's some of us who feel like maybe there's a curse on our family. You ever felt that way? Or maybe a curse on us. I've heard preachers preach that there, there could be someone in your family and they've made so many decisions that now your whole family, but listen to me, God is faithful. I'm holding in my hand a New Test, a, 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 a Bible. This is an entire Bible that a circuit-riding Methodist preacher in the late 1800s would put in a saddlebag and would ride into town and share Jesus. It was the Bible of my great-great-grandfather. There was a time in my family when somebody was sold out to Jesus. There was a time in my family where someone believed that God is faithful. There was a time in my family when someone believed God had a plan and he's in charge. So guess what? My father's parents were alcoholics. My father was an alcoholic. I had an encounter with my dad. He, I said, dad, some of the most, he left when I was six. I said, some of those painful memories of my life you were involved with. I remember you said, I can't think of one single reason why I shouldn't leave the family. And I overheard that and got out of bed and ran and grabbed you and said, Daddy, stay for me. And you said, go to bed, Jay, it doesn't concern you. And I remember sometime later, I don't know how far time-wise it was, when he said, I'm leaving, I'm never coming back. And I ran out of my room and my dad was carrying his suitcase to the car and I grabbed him by his leg and just held on and he just kept walking, I was drug across the yard. And he opened the door, there was another woman in the car and he drove off and I chased him. And I told my dad, I said, dad, you know, I couldn't catch you at the stop signs, but I could uh, one time at a red light. And you turned away. And I said, I stood there and I watched you drive off and you got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller the further he went until you just disappeared. But I said, of all the pain was the time after when you left and different men were coming and going out of my house and they'd bring people with them that I was being sexually abused and physically abused. And I wrote you, it seemed like a hundred times, please come get me and you never answered. I said, what kind of man would not come and get his son out of a situation like that? Now, I wanna say this quickly, but my father had been invo got involved with AA. My father had his life completely changed. 
My father became one of the lay leaders in AA. My father went on to start an alcohol and drug rehab center. My father helped hundreds and hundreds of people, but I'll never forget the moment he let me just empty the clip, anger and rage, and, and he looked at me and just wept. He owned it. He made it, he made it so, he, he, was, he went from a zero to a hero when I look back on how he handled that. And he said, Jay, I've let, I'm, I'm sorry, I was drowning. Your mom didn't deserve it. I was drowning and I almost took everybody I love with me. And he said, I don't, I don't deserve to be your father. And I, I, I know I never can be, but I'd like to be your friend. I'm just so proud of you. He's the one who gave me this Bible. He said, you know, man, Jay, you, uh, I've watched you on TV when you preach. And I, I said, I want you to have this because your granddad loved Jesus. And you're going into towns telling people about Jesus. And I never will forget. Now, by the way, can I be honest with you? I found out my mom, my dad never, he said, you know, Jay, I never got the letter. I was drunk. I don't remember those letters. Well, I found out after my mom passed, going through some of her belongings, those letters never got mail. So I went through life with this real anger. In fact, the first time they said, Jay, God wants to be your heavenly father. True story. You know what I said? No, thanks. I'll El Paso on the father thing. I've had six. I'm good. I had a real problem with the fatherhood of God because I'd never had a father. And part of it was because he'd never answered those letters. And then I find out in my 20s, he never even got the letters. And so I just want you to know, some of us, we want to fix blame. We want to fix blame. It's my dad's fault. It's my mom's fault. It's my stepdad's fault. It's that guy's fault, that, that woman's fault. You know, but... Can I be honest? Today, God just wants to fix the problem. Let's fix the problem, not fix blame, because sometimes we find out we don't have the whole story. And that's what happened to me. So I want you to know there's healing of the memories. There's God filling those empty spaces in your life and God even restoring relationships. And by the way, when my dad was dying, I said, Dad, Jesus is the higher power. I love AA, I love everything it does, I love everything it stands for. But I said, Dad, Jesus is the higher power. And I remember one time you took us fishing with my girls, one of my favorite memories of us together, and we were out way too long and we were back by the keys and the tide had gone out and we were in a real spot, real trouble. But because you'd been back in the keys so many times, you knew the way out. And I said, Dad, you're about to die. There's only one person who knows the way out, the one who died and was buried and rose again. And I said, Dad, I trusted you because you said, trust me, I'll show you the way. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Come to me. And I had the privilege of praying with my dad and he asked Jesus into his life. And then I remember when my mom was dying. My mom. Jay, there's no way I could be forgiven. There's no way I could be cleansed. And I said, Mom, Isaiah 118. You remember that verse? Come now. Let's reason together, saith the Lord. Come now. Though your sins be as red and as stained as scarlet and crimson, I'll make it as white as freshly fallen snow. And with tears streaming down my mom's face, I said, Mom, Jesus can make you white and whole. He did it for me. 
He'll do it for you. And I was able to lead my mom to the Lord. And one of the times when my mom was battling in her last months with cancer, I was paged over the intercom from the hospital. There were no cell phones or nothing back in those days. And I want you to know, they kept saying, Dr. Strack, come to the front desk. Dr. Strack, go to the front I go down the front desk. The lady goes, no, no, we want the Dr. Strack. And a bald-headed, skinny guy walked up and said, are you Jay? I said, yes, who are you? He said, I'm your brother. We look so much alike, I could see the resemblance immediately, you know. And uh, here's this guy, I didn't look like anybody I ever knew, much less related to. And uh, he said, Jay, I'm your brother. I said, man, my mom's dying. I like the kid and joke, but maybe tomorrow. He goes, no, no, I'm your brother. He called her by name. I said, how do you know her name? I'm your brother. And you know what happened that day? I met a man. I had a brother given away. We both had the same dad and I'm sorry, we both had the same mom and different dads. Now I'm meeting somebody, we both had the same dad and different moms. So we might be related. Some of you are thinking, you got, maybe we're related, it's possible. Now if you're doing, if things aren't going good, I don't think so, I don't think we're related. But if you're doing real good, I miss you, man. I want my Bubba, no, uh, but, and you know, I can joke about some of these now because the Lord is so good and so faithful. But I just want you to know, there was a curse on our family. My dad's parents, who were alcoholics, and my dad was very bitter towards them. He became an alcoholic, and his children were very bitter. Do you know what happened? I found out from a couple that while I was preaching in their city, came up to me and said, we knew your grandparents, my dad's parents, and we, took them to church for almost a year, and they both gave their heart and life to Jesus. And what I'm trying to say is, it looked like there was a curse on our family. But what did the Lord do? He saved my mom, and the privacy of my dad gets saved. I found out my grandparents. I found out a brother I never knew I had, and Gary had a problem with alcohol and he was going through all the junk and I had the privilege of seeing Gary come to know the Lord and I just want you to know, Satan will do his best to make you think it's over for you, it's over. You're destined for this, you're never gonna have this new life. But I want you to know if God be for us, who could be against us? God is faithful. The night I gave my heart to Jesus, they asked us, to make a decision. And the young guy leading the Bible study said, let's pray. And I bowed my head and I listened, but I had no clue. It was a lot of church talk. I didn't know how to do what he was talking about. And a guy behind me put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Jay, forgive me, I don't mean to be nosy, but I just sensed, would you like to give your heart to Jesus? I said, how'd you know? He said, well, because I've been there, I recognize, I recognize it. I said, but I don't know how. He said, Jay, I could lead you in a prayer. And if that sounds like the prayer that describes what's going on in your heart, then I'm gonna ask you to pray that prayer. And if I'm saying something that's not what you feel in your heart, then obviously don't, but if you, and he led me in a prayer. And I want you to know that was the night Jesus came into my life. And that has been now 
Well, I can't even count that high, all right? He's never left me. He's never forsaken me. He'll do the same for you. So I would like the privilege to lead you in that prayer if any of this we've talked about today sounds like something that you need to happen in your heart. But let's all bow our heads and pray if we might. And I'm gonna pray a simple prayer and I'm gonna ask you to pray that prayer with me if you feel it describes what God is saying to you. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving me. I know I've been many times unlovable. I've been far from what I need to be. I'm a sinner. And Lord, my life is in many ways not anything like what I thought it would be. Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for the bad things that I've done. I'm thankful for the things I've done to myself. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've done to other people or said to other people. And Lord, I ask you to heal me from the things that other people have done to me. I really want you to fix the problem, Lord, rather than me holding on to my anger and pain. The best I know how, I've heard that you are faithful. I've heard that you love us with an everlasting love. And you promised if we came to you, you'd not cast us out. You promised you'd make, us, you'd make me as white as freshly fallen snow. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for shedding your blood for me. And thank you that you rose again, that you're alive. Jesus, the best I know how, on this day, I ask you to step out of heaven and step into my heart. To cleanse me, to deliver me, to change me, to save me. Lord, I want to be faithful to you. I want to serve you and honor you. And I want those that around me to know forgiveness and joy. And I want you to know I want to love you back. For I pray with all my heart in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. If you just... If you just pray with Jay, we have a gift box we want to give you. It's got a Bible and some wonderful things that will help you get started on your journey. All you got to do is go to any info center and just say, I prayed with Jay. That's all it will take, and they want to give you the box. Please stop by and get that. One more time, if you appreciate Jay Strack being with us, let him know. Thank you so much. God bless.